Good morning, Doc. So how are we doing? Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Nate. Someone say hi, Nate. Hi, Nate. Hey, um, I'm, I'm feeling joyful. I don't know about you guys. Yeah? I mean, it's, it's hard to beat the, the kids' choir. It's hard to beat singing classic Christmas songs together. It's going to be no surprise this morning we're talking about joy. Joy is one of those traditional themes around Advent. If you've been going through the Advent Devo, we, we just talked through joy a, a few days ago. Joy is, it's different than a temporary happiness, isn't it? Like happiness is kind of the weather. It changes day to day. I'm, I'm happy this day. I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But joy is more like the climate. It's abiding. It's deep. It's kind of the, the foundation. Do you live with this background song of joy in your life? Are you a joyful person? It might be easy to say, like, yeah, I mean, have you been here this morning? Like, this is a joyful time of year. This is a, a joyful place to be. Maybe you've got some things in particular, even around the Christmas season, that you look forward to, to give you a sense of joy. It is the, the Christmas carol starting to go in, in the grocery store, or whatever going on, or you're looking forward to vacation time. We are talking about this in Connection Group this week, like, man, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to vacation a few days off to recoup. Or you're like, I, I'm so looking forward, I'm going to find great joy in my family getting together, if, if there's no drama this year, right? Like, miracles do happen. It's going to be awesome. Or that Red Rider BB gun, come on, it's going to be amazing. Or whatever your toy is, right? There's so many things that we, we look forward to in the season to find joy. So let me just ask you are, you, are you a joyful person? Are you a person whose life is characterized by joy? Not just sometimes, like on a Sunday when the kids choir is up, but is that, is that the climate of your life? Are you a joyful person? Joy isn't just something we talk about around the Christmas season. It's part of what I think anyone would say, man, this is a good life to, to be full of joy. I've never met a person who's like, actually, you know what? I've got enough joy. Thank you. Don't need any more, right? Let me ask you, Christians in the room this morning, if you, if you count yourself as a Christian, are you a joyful Christian? Because if anyone gets the reason for the season, if anyone should be a joyful person, it, it should be us, Right? Are, are you joyful or are you gloomy? Are you anxious? Is the, is the climate of your life maybe more stress or frustration than it is joy? Now again, it's one thing to, to, to feel some sense of joy on a Sunday like this, but it's, it's a whole other thing to feel it on Wednesday or the middle of February when it's still gray outside and right the sun's still setting at what, four o'clock or some nonsense, Right? It's one thing to have right answers about where joy is supposed to come from and, and sing songs like the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's a whole other issue to, to have that kind of joy when, when it's, it's not a festive time of year. When you're going through the real stuff of life that maybe over, over a vacation you can forget for just a moment. Friends, I, I think we have a joy problem. And I think the expectation and the hope and the desire we put on moments like this and seasons like this, it actually just speaks to the fact that the problem is deeper than we want to acknowledge. In fact, the fact that we grab so tightly onto some of these things for joy and we put so much weight and pressure that they will give us joy, how tightly our grip goes around these few things, that just shows our, our hearts are maybe less joyful than we want to admit and the Christian answers we've got about where our joy is supposed to be and where it comes from, maybe those, 
haven't sunk deep enough into our lives. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) We're going to talk about joy this morning because we have a joy problem. You have a joy problem, and I do too. The, The fuel for our joy is way too fragile and temporary. We need the kind of joy that will last and sustain throughout not just a season, but a year and a lifetime. Because what does it tell the world if we, among all people, sing about the joy of the world, the Savior's come, and then, then our nine to five, our Wednesday afternoon, whatever, doesn't reflect that at all? Not just for you, but for the sake of God's glory and his mission in our city and our world, we need to be a more joyful kind of person, people, right? So how do we find a joy that lasts? How do we fuel a joy that lasts? We're going to go to Luke 1. Open your Bibles with me. We're continuing this Advent series. Last week, Rob talked us through the, the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Mary that she would bear the Savior. This beautiful, glorious, like God breaking into the story after 400 years of silence. The Savior is coming. These hopes and expectations on display. The Savior's here. We're going to just follow that, the next piece of that story and find out what happens after Mary gets this announcement. We'll be in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 39, answering this question together, how, how do we find a joy that lasts? How do we fuel a joy that lasts? And in fact, we're actually going to look at Mary in a time where maybe she struggled with joy, but it turned to rejoicing. You ready? Someone say, yep. All right, let's go. Luke chapter 1, starting verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, or in Judah, excuse me, She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, again, what has just happened is is the angel Gabriel came and spoke to her and said, you're going to bear the Messiah. Like, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you will bear a baby who will be the Savior. It doesn't tell us how long it's been. It just says in those days. So it's, it's kind of the first few weeks of Mary's pregnancy. Think about this with me. She's a young girl, kind of a, a nobody from a nowhere town. And in, in that day and age, pregnancy was, was maybe a little bit more scary. Infant mortality, mothers dying while giving birth. And even more than that, actually, as, as her pregnancy became more of a physical reality, as, as things started to happen in her body, she would have been thinking about all of, of the implications for her life around her. Being a young single woman and getting pregnant wasn't, wasn't an accepted thing. She would have faced great shame, maybe in her family. And honor and shame was a big deal. She would have potentially even been disowned by her family for getting pregnant out of wedlock. She would have brought shame on her family name and dishonor in a small, tight-knit community. I don't know if you're from a small town, but you know news travels fast, right? And when you find out this young girl got pregnant and she doesn't have a husband yet, everyone's going to know before long. So as the physical stuff is happening to her body, as, as the baby Jesus is growing inside of her, her mind must have been racing with fear, with worry, and maybe even doubt. Like, what if, what if a couple days or a couple weeks even after Gabriel shows up, she starts going, did that, did that really happen? Like, did that really happen to me? Because angels showing up to people isn't like an everyday thing in the Bible. It's not just another one of those. That's, that's a big deal in any part of Scripture. Do you think she worried, like, am I crazy? What is happening to me? And if, 
If this really is happening to her and people around her find out, not only could she be potentially disowned by her family, but there were provisions in the Old Testament law to even stone her as an adulteress. How is she supposed to bear the Messiah, the Savior of the world, if, if she's dead? Do you think she was struggling with joy a little bit? This great and glorious announcement is having some very real impacts on her life, her thinking. So she leaves town for a minute before she starts showing and she leaves and she goes to to Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now we heard about them a a little bit last week, but Zechariah is a priest and as he's in the temple, as as he's doing just his regular service, an angel shows up to him, Gabriel shows up to him and has an announcement for him. And he says, hey, you're going to have a son. You and your wife have been married for decades and you haven't been able to have a baby. There's great pain in that, but you're going to have a son. And in his in his pain, maybe his bitterness of soul, he, he doubts it. And this is kind of like a funny thing. The angel's like, all right, you don't, you don't get to talk until the baby's born. You doubted me, you don't get to talk. And, and so the angel told Mary, listen, Elizabeth is pregnant. It's a miraculous baby. She's six months pregnant. And so Zechariah hasn't been able to talk for six months. That's just kind of a weird note to me. That's funny. Dude has been walking around unable to talk and share what's been going on as his wife, as his baby is growing in his wife. So Gabriel told Mary, hey, Elizabeth is pregnant, it's a miraculous baby, and in her struggle with joy, she goes to see Elizabeth, maybe the one person who's really going to understand what she's going through. So she greets her, and what, what happens when she greets Elizabeth? Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for, for what? For joy. Blessed is she who believed that there'd be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. As Mary walks in the door, as she just says hello and starts greeting her, the Holy Spirit gives Elizabeth what's called a word of knowledge. We see this in other parts of the New Testament, but Elizabeth has a kind of knowledge that she doesn't have by natural means. She knows something about Mary's condition that she shouldn't know in and of herself. No one else has told her that Mary's pregnant except God. And when the Holy Spirit breaks in in moments like this, it's to encourage, it's to speak God's reality into a situation, it's to build that person up with a hope that can only come from God. Like look at the content of what the Spirit gave her. He says things like, hey, you're blessed. And you're blessed because you've been written into God's storyline. God has worked, he has shown up in your life in a way that that now you are counted as a blessed person, blessed among women. She affirms through the spirit that the baby in your womb really is the Lord. This isn't an ordinary baby. That you are going to bear the savior of the world. She says the baby in me is even rejoicing. This is the fulfillment of what's been spoken and the way that Mary was blessed, says in verse 45, is because you just believed what God said. The way that Mary got written into God's storyline, Rob highlighted this last week, isn't because she was special. It's not because she was a big deal, but because God loves to use nobodies from nowhere in his story. His work of grace and her work of just responding in faith. She entered into a new storyline. And again, the spirit through Elizabeth is trying to just bring these things back to her eyes, back in front of her in a moment of struggle, in a moment of crisis maybe for her, in a moment struggling with joy. 
we're going to unpack even a little bit more of that. We're going to see uh, some echoes and reverberations of that. But what follows next is sometimes called the Magnificant. It's a song of worship and joy that Mary brings. She goes from struggle and, and leaving her town because of anxiety and stress and worry to singing and rejoicing. You can learn a lot about what makes someone sing, can't you? Especially a song of real joy overflowing from her and and God decided that this song should be captured in his word. Like God decided that this song should be written down for us to look at and understand and I think, I think as we lean into this, we're actually gonna find more fuel for our joy. We're gonna find out something from her song of rejoicing that can lead to our joy in the months, in the years to come. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's where we get that word magnificant, magnifies, makes much of, extols, makes him big in my eyes. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. To rejoice is to just put word or put action to the joy you feel. Real joy like a joyful heart overflows in rejoicing. Rejoicing is expressing joy inside of you. And look at what she says in verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, now here's the thing. If you're familiar with church, if you've been around here, you actually won't be surprised that that's kind of like the right answer, right? Where do you find joy? In God. Jesus, yay. Okay, have a good Sunday. See you later, right? But there's something about this that, that again, flips the script on her situation. There's something about this reality of finding joy, rejoicing in God that goes deeper than just a church answer. Because let me tell you, Maybe you've known church answers, you've known the right answers for a long time, and your life has not been reflecting it. Maybe when I ask you if you're a joyful person, you know you're supposed to be. You know you kind of want to be. But those right answers have not moved from your head to your heart to your bloodstream, moved out in your life. As we look at her song of praise and this idea that she's rejoicing in God, listen, you need to pay attention to the, the exact things that are causing her to rejoice. Don't miss the detail here because the detail is important. God decided it should be captured in his word. How do we learn like fuel for our joy? How do we learn to take this idea of rejoicing in God and actually make it real and practical and tangible? Not just the once a year with the kids choir whenever there's donuts showing up, but, but every day when that jerk cuts you off driving home, right? When your family is fighting actually on Christmas day, when you get that thing that you wanted and it, it just isn't, isn't enough, How do you rejoice in God? Verse 48. For he, for God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Like the God of the universe has looked at me. He's seen me in my nobody from nowhere kind of life. He's looked on me. And for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. The first thing that that Mary is rejoicing in, she's finding joy, fueling her joy in, is God's work in her life. The God of the universe has looked at her and he's shown up. Again, just like Elizabeth told her, Mary will be called blessed from now on. Blessed, not because she somehow became rich and wealthy and famous and powerful, not, not those categories that we think of. Like hashtag blessed, right? I got a blessed life, got more Instagram followers every day, whatever. Mary didn't end up rich and powerful at the end of her life. That's not her story. In fact, after just a few times in scripture after this, we kind of don't see Mary on the scene anymore. 
But she's called blessed because the God of the universe has looked on her and he's worked in her life. The God of the universe has shown up in her life to change the storyline of her life by writing her into his story. Not just adding more money to her story, but actually writing her into his story forever. God's work in her life is is a reason for her to rejoice. He has done great things for her. If you're a note taker, you can write that down. The first fuel for Mary's joy is God's work in her life. Let's keep looking. We'll see more fuel. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Someone say fear. You might not be comfortable with the idea of fear tied to God because when we we talk about fear, we tend to think of bad things. I'm afraid of a, a disease a tragedy, I'm I'm afraid of a horror movie, whatever. But the Bible has a rich theme of the fear of the Lord all through it. It, it, It's not the same kind of use of fear as we use. It's closer to the idea of maybe the sublime, if you've heard of that. Like standing on top of a mountain. Some of you are going to Colorado for Christmas. I'm not jealous. I'm a little jealous, okay? But it's not going to steal my joy. But, But you're standing on top of a mountain and you're looking out. And it's beautiful. And it makes you feel small. It's not bad to feel small in that moment. It actually feels right to feel small in that moment when you're looking out at the world around you and seeing I'm a little piece of this bigger story. Or you're by an ocean and you start thinking of the miles and and all the creatures that live in the depths of the sea. You feel like a smaller piece of something much bigger and it's powerful and it's, it's larger than you can wrap your mind around. Or maybe you've been in a stadium full of people and you just feel yourself a smaller part of something much bigger happening. There's energy and there's power in the place. We, we, we tap into this a little bit in those moments of mountaintops and oceans and crowds. Those are just created things. Those are small things compared to the God of the universe who spoke all of existence into being. The fear of the Lord is, is finding yourself near this powerful Big, beautiful, glorious, worthy, amazing God and recognizing he is way stronger than me. He could snuff me out of existence just like he spoke me into existence. He could do whatever he wants and nothing can stop him. I recognize my place but I'm also drawn to him. Actually seeing him for who he is draws my heart into to experience more of who he is. To be at his feet. The fear of the Lord is a right recognition of who God is and who I am in front of him. But it doesn't make me run and hide. It actually draws me in because I'm finding out where I'm supposed to be in the universe, my right place. God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Again, not not cringing, but drawn to him when we see him for who he is and who we are. God shows his mercy to the kind of people that respond to his character and his grace when we see him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 51 through 53 are kind of this series of divine reversals. Do you see that? It's kind of like, okay, the proud, the powerful, the whatever, and and God reverses that storyline. But in the few verses that we've seen here in, in the story of Mary's life, she hasn't actually seen this. Like she's, she's heard an announcement from an angel. She's gone to visit her, her relative Elizabeth. She's, she's gotten this word of knowledge, but she has not seen the proud scattered, the mighty brought down, 
the hungry filled with good things, the rich sent away empty. She hasn't seen those in front of her. In fact, you might be looking at the world around you and going like, I would love to see a little more of that. I would love to see those who are proud and, and putting themselves above other people actually brought down a bit, at least one peg. I would love to see people who are misusing and abusing the things God given them. I would love to see them actually start to steward those things. Or those who are hungry, filled. I would love to see more justice in the world. Mary wasn't seeing God's work in those categories. So what is going on here? Like sometimes you, you try to find joy in God's work and you look at the world around you and you go, I don't know if I'm seeing it. The more I look at the world, the more I read the news, sometimes the less joy I have. Amen? Sometimes it can feel like justice is so far away. Like Jesus coming to restore all things can feel like a distant dream, not, not God's work right now. My wife loves um, like crime podcasts, you know what I'm talking about? Like murder shows and stuff. She cannot handle horror movies, okay? If she, has, if she watches a horror movie, she'll have terrible nightmares. And yet she can listen for hours and hours to like a, like a podcast on some serial killer or something. I don't understand it. Um, some of you guys are like, yeah, murder shows. I love those. Well, I'll talk to her later. But she was listening to one recently on a drive about a guy who was like wrongfully incarcerated. It's kind of like serial. It's one of those where, where a journalist gets a hold of a story and, and as the podcast goes, they explain more and more and they, they find out more and it, it changes the story as they investigate it. So this guy's put in prison at like 19 for, for murdering his wife and he's maintained his innocence. He's been this model citizen in jail, all this stuff. And as the journalist gets a hold of the story and explores it more, actually finds more and more evidence that this guy's probably innocent. And in fact, along the way, finds another guy in jail who is a suspect who confesses to the crime. And you think, this is justice right here. He's been wrongfully incarcerated. He's going to get out. This is awesome. Like, like, finally a good story. Like, yes, journalism works. Here we go. I have hope in the world. But along the way, you find out in this story that the prosecutor, who, who is trying to do his best, trying to do a good job, trying to lock up the bad guys, is so convinced that the original guy actually did it that, that blocked every chance of parole. He blocked all the retrials. So even when the journalist finds a confession from the guy, the guy who really did it, the innocent man in jail is, is stuck there. There's no retrial. Like he doesn't have a chance. So the podcast goes on. So I hear. I didn't actually listen to it. Whatever. Goes on. You hear the story. It, it all unfolds. You find out what real justice looks like. You find out the right answer. And, and it, it doesn't work. Justice isn't done. Maybe you've got some situations in your life where, where you're thinking about joy and you're like, I would, I would have joy if only this wrong was right. If only this situation was corrected. If only this person was punished because they really do deserve it. If, if only your hands are holding tightly to some possible future there. And, and when you hear about God's work in, in the world, you go, yeah, I want him to work, but I want to work right here and I'm not seeing it. Again, Mary in her story, she has not seen these things happen, so what is she talking about? She's talking about God's character. Sometimes if I don't see his work in action, I can still look at his character because our God really is the kind of God who is merciful. In fact, Mary's been doing this the whole story. Our, our God really is a God who is a savior. He really does look on the humble estate of his servants. He sees his people. He's not distant and far away, but his character is to be near his people. 
Our God is the kind of God that blesses his people and writes us into his story. Our God is really mighty and does great things. He really is holy. He is merciful. He is strong. He really does oppose the proud and elevate the humble. He gives grace to them. Our God really does bring down the the proud and mighty from their thrones to show that his throne is above every other throne. He really does fill the hungry with good things. Even if you don't see it today. His character doesn't change even if his timeline is bigger than what you've been looking for. When you can't rejoice in his work in front of you because you can't see it, you can still look at his character, the kind of God he is. And you can look at the end of the story, the end of the day, when, when he really will do these things. Because he's true to his character, because he's true to who he is, you can tap into a bigger joy like Mary of God's character that will be consistent through every age, every generation, all the time. The second fuel for Mary's joy is God's character who he is and what he's like, even if she can't see his work right in front of her. She fuels her joy with God's work, with God's character, and there's a third fuel we're gonna see in the last couple verses, 54 and 55. 54, she she sings, she rejoices, he has helped his servant Israel. Again, God's work there, he has helped, he's showing up. In remembrance of his mercy, his character, he's a merciful God. 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, he's shown up, he's worked and helped as he spoke to Abraham. She's going all the way back to Genesis where God takes this nobody, Abraham, from a place called Babylon and says, leave your family, leave your your pagan gods, leave that and, and if you follow me in faith, I'll bless you. And I won't just bless you, I will actually write you into my storyline where all of the nations in the world will be blessed, all peoples will be blessed through you. She's tying the baby in her belly to this promise all the way back in Genesis that she's heard about over and over and and generations of Israelites had heard about over and over. Our God has made promises and he keeps them and she's saying this baby is the answer to that promise. In fact, the more I read the Old Testament, the more I see God's promises on display and their fulfillment in Jesus. Rob highlighted last week, there's a promise in Genesis 3 that a savior will come. Like the ancient enemy of mankind, Satan, someone will come and crush his head. There's a promise that a prophet would come like Moses to to deliver the law with God's authority. There'd be a king to sit on David's throne and not just another son of David, but one who would never leave the throne. There was gonna be a new law written on our hearts, not on tablets of stone, a new covenant with God's people. Even as we went through Daniel, there would be one coming like the son of man, the cloud rider like God himself, who would receive a kingdom that would grow and expand and fill the whole earth. The promises of God are wrapped up, they're tied up in Jesus, and Mary sees that God's promises can fuel her joy. God's promises, because he works in real history to make promises and keep promises. His character is such that he is trustworthy when he says something, he'll do it, and his promises are are, are extended out for generations into history. When you look at Jesus, you can see the fulfillment of all these Old Testament hopes and promises. Mary's joy was fueled by God's promises. Verse 56, Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. This song of joy explodes on the scene and then Mary Mary hangs out for three more months. 
It wasn't just kind of a, a one time this amazing thing happens, I sing a song and go home, but she, she waited, she rehearsed, she, she thought about all these things God had done. She watched this baby grow in Elizabeth's womb as she felt the changes in her own body. Her first trimester is spent with Elizabeth as Elizabeth gets ready to have John the Baptist. And she spent this time rehearsing and thinking and praying and fueling her joy, adding more wood to that fire before she goes back home, back into the stress and the fear and the worry and the gossip, but with a different kind of joy. Here's what we learned from this. Like true joy, lasting joy is found in God. And all the Christians said, duh. But, but more than that, lasting joy is fueled by God. Not just some concept you heard, but actually an ongoing fuel, throwing more wood on that fire day after day. Lasting joy is fueled by God. By God's work, by his character, and by his promises. So let me ask you, gloomy Christian, Anxious Christian, stressed out Christian, have you been looking at God's work in your life? Have you been looking for the ways he's been answering prayer or working the people around you? That's one of the things I love about Connection Group. I get a front row seat to God's work in other people because sometimes I don't feel like he's working in me as much as I want him to. But I get a front row seat to how he's changing people and growing them and transforming them and it actually gives me even a sensitivity to see his work in me. Are you the kind of person that prays things and, and, and doesn't just pray them and forget them, but actually looks for how God is going to work and answer and show up? Or what about God's character? Do you know what God is like? And I'm not talking truck bed theology where you got together with some buddies and said, God is big, right? God is love, I think. My kind of God would be like this or that, but, but you actually went to see what God says about himself. Have you been fueling your joy with looking at God's character as he explains it and describes it and gives example to it all through scripture? Do you read your Bible? Not because you're supposed to, but because God is in every page trying to show you more of his character. Do you know God's promises? Do you think about God's promises? God's promises that he's already kept and God's promises that he's made. Promises that, that we will have a home with him forever that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that he will renew and remake creation, that he will work through his gospel whether you see it or not. In fact, we have more fuel for joy than Mary had. She had a baby in her womb at this point in the story, but we get to see a savior. If you want to see God's work, you look at Jesus. The God of the universe looking at us, lost in our sin, running from him. God works by showing up in flesh. This miracle of a baby didn't stop there, but he grew to be a man walking perfectly with the God of the universe. God in flesh, emptying himself to live the life that we were supposed to live. If you want to see God's work, you look at the cross where he died to pay the penalty for your sin. His character on display as a gracious, merciful, just God. As the kind of God that loves to bless his people when we respond to him in faith. You want to see his promises. Jesus promised that he would die and rise again, and he did it. He promised that he would pay for it, and and he did it, and he rose to life to prove it. it was paid for, and there was nothing left. He had more life to give, and he promised he would come back. He promised he would come back for his people. He promised that he would right wrongs and bring true justice as the king who's never off his throne. He promised he would be with us to the end of the age as we go out and share this good news. 
Now listen to me, some of you are looking for this joy, this joy I've been talking about, and and you've maybe heard some of these stories or ideas, but in your heart of hearts as we're talking, you kind of know, hey, I don't think I know that God. You've been looking for joy and grabbing onto things for joy, but really what you've been doing is trying to, trying to be good enough for that kind of God. You've been trying to work really hard to, to be a better person, have a better life and whatever, and, and listen to me, that will never work. God doesn't grade on a sliding scale. You will never find joy in this life or the life to come by trying to be just a little bit better than the next guy. That's not gonna work. God's standard is his holiness. Jesus wasn't just a a nice example with some good teaching. He was actually a savior because you need to be saved. You can't do it on your own. Stop trying to impress people around you. Stop trying to prove yourself to God and man, but, but enter into what verse 50 told us, the fear of the Lord. That's the people that experience his mercy, those who fear him. The God of the universe wants you to experience his holiness even if the light of his holiness exposes your sin. Not to shame you, not to to break you, not to toss you out like some broken toy, but actually so that in the light of his grace, you can encounter forgiveness and healing through Jesus. And he is the only one that can give you joy and fuel for joy today and forever. If you want real joy this morning and you don't know that God, that's your first step into it. Surrender to him Look on Jesus with faith and accept him. Not just as kind of the reason for the season, the baby in the manger, but the savior who took the cross, who left the empty tomb, who is seated in glory, who's inviting you to surrender to him. Okay, Christians in the room, how do we begin to walk this out? How do you actually fuel a joy from here on and not just let this be another church answer, right? Joy in God, yay, here we go. I've got a practice for you and I've got a vision, okay? You ready? Here's the practice. I actually want you to write this down. If you're not a note taker, you can become one right now. Here's the practice. i got three R's because we're kind of Baptists. We'll tell you more about that in, uh, yeah. Show up the intro to Doxa. You'll find out. We're sort of Baptists, whatever. Um, here's the practice. i got three R's for you. Reflect, release, rehearse. A- and I want you to do this this week. Like, I actually want you to, to try practicing this this week. Here, here's what I mean by reflect. I want, like a mirror just reflects your face, what's already there, I want you to just reflect on your heart and the state of your life. Take a few minutes and, and look at, okay, where have I I've been trying to find my joy? Am I actually a joyful person? What is the state of joy in my life? What things have I been believing the promise? If I only have this, I'll have more joy. And don't give yourself a pass just because you know the right answers. Actually, let... Let a time of reflection reveal what's already there. Again, don't just give the right answers because you know them, but, but let your heart be reflected in, in the state of your life. Do my kids think I'm joyful? Do my coworkers see joy in me? Do my roommates experience joy in me or something else? Start with reflection. The next step is release. I love the word release because, listen to me, so many of us, our hands are, are, are grasping tightly to something to try to give us joy. And in order to grab the fuel of joy that God gives, you might have to relax your grip on something else. Releasing can look like going before God and just laying his good gifts back at his feet and saying, you are better than the gifts. It can look like repentance in your life where you you say, hey God, it's been sin in my life to be believing these things or, or acting this way. 
Releasing might actually mean you apologizing to people that you've hurt or people you've been loading expectations on because you're trying to get them to give you joy. Release can look like a lot of things. But let the real state of your heart guide your release. Release those things and surrender them back to God. And then rehearse. An actor rehearses their lines, not not when they're on the stage, but before they get there, right? They spend hours going over and over their lines so that when they're on stage, it can just flow out of them. They can be present in those moments. Mary spent three months rehearsing the fuel of her joy with Elizabeth, going over and over what God had done and the promises he made, building up a stockpile of fuel so that whatever came, what would come out of her would be real joy. When she was squeezed and pressed and pressured, real joy could come out of her. You need to begin rehearsing these things, especially on a Sunday when you've already got joy and the kids' choir's been here and the donuts are there and it's great. Especially in these moments, begin to rehearse. Where have you seen God's work in your life? Maybe you need to go share your testimony with someone around you and just just tell them again, like, God brought me from death to life. Or talk about a major sin struggle that God has been giving you freedom from. Maybe you need to um, keep a prayer journal. Write down what you've been praying for and then have fuel to go back and see God worked there and he worked there and he worked there. He's shown up for me. Maybe you need to rehearse God's character for you because you're not seeing his work the ways that you want to. Begin reading your Bible and asking, God, what is your character like? Memorize verses on what God's character is really like so you're not filling in all the gaps with your own hopes and expectations like he's some genie in the sky or or slot machine or whatever, but, but his actual character. Let his character rewrite the story of your reality like, like Mary did. Even if you're not seeing it in front, of it in front of you, God, you will work this way because you're just, you're merciful, you're true. Maybe you need to rehearse his promises. Like read and journal through Revelation 20 through 22. This is the future coming. There will be justice. I will get to be with you, God. Look at his fulfilled promises in Christ. Like read again about Jesus' life and all of the promises he fulfilled. Fuel your joy by looking at our God being a promise-keeping God and the promises he's made for your future. That's the practice, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to just try that for 15 minutes this week. You can do that, right? A lunch break, maybe before you go to bed or if you're an early riser, God bless, like wake up a little earlier and do that. But uh, spend five minutes reflecting, just writing out, okay, what is the real state of my joy in my heart? Five minutes releasing praying those things back to God, and five minutes rehearsing. God, where can I find my joy? And I don't think practicing it one time is going to flip the script of your life if you're a gloomy, anxious, frustrated Christian. But I think it's a start. I think if you made this a practice of your life, not only would it change your celebration of Christmas if you did this once this week, but it would begin to change the orientation and direction of your whole life. Like imagine if we were a group of Christians that practiced fueling our joy, like finding lasting joy in God himself. What would change about your relationships if you were a joyful Christian? What would change about your marriage? What would change about your parenting? What would change about your singleness? What would change about your work culture? What would change about those relationships you've been trying to share the gospel? If you were a joyful person that had a stockpile of fuel for your joy day in and day out, whatever the season, whatever's going on, imagine what God would do with a church of joyful people.
A church of joyful people in the middle of February. A church of joyful people, whatever election was happening or, or whatever games we lost or, or won or whatever, if we were this joyful kind of people. I think people, people would be drawn to that. They'd see us in our humble estate and they would see our glorious God and they would want in on that kind of joy that only he can provide. I want that, Doxa. You want that with me? All right, let's pray and invite God to do that more and more in us. Father, as I reflect on my heart, I confess to you that there are things I've been grabbing onto for joy that can never last, that are not sustainable joy, that I wasn't built to fuel my joy for a long time with those things. No vacation, no time off, no gift for Christmas, no whatever can fuel that kind of joy. But you offer us that joy. As we sing, as we respond to you, would you begin to, to stir up deeper and richer joy in us? Would you make us a joyful people because you work in our lives? Because of your incredible character, because you're a promise-keeping God and you've made beautiful promises for your people. Would you let our songs of joy continue to overflow this morning and for the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come till we get to see you face-to-face, Jesus, and you make every promise, every promise complete. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. Pray in your name. Amen.